0: Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Mignan McLaughlin said, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective.
2: I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone.
1: Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts by way of email, messaging us at christianquestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. Jonathan, what's the topic for today?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, what does a marriage need to be strong? And our theme text is found in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them fails, the one
1: will lift up his companion. So the question, what does a marriage need to be strong? Till death do us good heart. It seems that not all that long ago, those words, which were in some way included in every marriage ceremony, really meant something. They symbolized the depth of a promise made between a man and a woman to stand beside one another through any and all circumstances. Now, I really couldn't tell you if some semblance of those words is still part of a t- typical marriage ceremony, but I can tell you that, unfortunately, more than, all, more than half of all marriages actually fail. So coming up in today's podcast, most of us experience enough stress in life to have a negative effect on our relationships, especially our marriage. In this episode, we'll talk about that stress and how to find strength for our marriages. In our second segment, we're going to look at the simple principle of being friends and how that's a basis to build from. In segment three, we'll examine the transformative power of truly engaging and family, and and what all of that means. Sometimes it seems like our marriage is in a rut. There's so much that has to be done that by the time it's all over, you're just too worn out. In segment four, we'll discuss a whole new way to think about all of this. And in segment five, we're going to put it all together, as well as uncover the story of an amazing married couple in the New Testament.
2: Okay, Rick, back to so many marriages failing. Why? Why? What are the missing or overlooked or unknown ingredients that make a marriage strong and successful? What should we be saying, doing, or thinking to be continually building a relationship that can not only last for a lifetime, but flourish for that lifetime?
1: Now, see, you ask some very good questions, and so that's what it's about. That's why we're here. That's what we want to talk about. So, before we get to all of that, we want to unlock the power of passion in marriage. But, Jonathan, that really sets us off in the right direction. So, I want to. We're going to play a very, very, very short clip from a very, very popular song that all everybody knows. I would venture to say that people around the world know this. Just to prove a point. Now these are profound words that we'll make some comments on after we hear them.
3: All you need is love All you need is love All you need is love, love. love is all
4: you need
1: All you need is love. Love is all you need profound. But maybe there's a whole lot more to it than that. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's what we're going to find out as we we go through this. You know, it's such a nice thing to say, look, all you need is love, and everything will work out. Well, all you need is love with a whole lot of other things. Love is really important, and love is a multifaceted thing. As a matter of fact, there are several basic types of love that the Bible references four of which we will look at as a basis for our conversation here today. Now, our objective in this conversation is to define what it takes to build and maintain a strong marriage, to build and maintain one. And this is the model that we want to look at the model that God gave and that Jesus verified. And we've quoted the scripture many times. I think, I don't think we've ever done a marriage program without quoting the scripture, Matthew 19 verses four to six.
2: And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate.
1: Now, this is interesting because this is the marriage equation that is mentioned in the Old Testament and repeated by Jesus and verified by Jesus in the New Testament. Did you see the word love anywhere in that? I did not, Rick. It's because it's not there now ah. what we we don't want to downplay love because we're actually going to be talking about love through this entire podcast but what we want to do is make plain the thought that while this the, 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 the idea of a loving relationship is so critically important it's not the only piece it's not the only thing this found this model that we just talked that you just read about obviously has much more than love as its foundation and there's there's a godliness aspect to it. There's a reverent aspect to it. There's a sacredness. There's all kinds of things. So we want to get into what are those things. Now, all of it is going to be framed around love, okay? But it's also going to be including the many, many, many other kinds of things that need to be focused on. So for a successful marriage, we we start with the kind of love. Remember, there's four kinds we're going to look at that often takes center stage today. Um, we got some of the thoughts for today from a, um, a thought, ThoughtCo.com article, Four Types of Love in the Bible. And, and interestingly, Jonathan, side note, I didn't tell you this before, but um, um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book years and years and years and years ago called uh, Four, I think it was called Four Kinds of Love.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, and, and this is what he was talking about. So, yeah, I I hadn't read the book, but I saw the title and, and, and the description. I thought, oh, well, look at that. It's exactly the same. So the first kind of love we're talking about, the Greek word is eros. What is that about?
2: Eros is the Greek word for sensual or romantic love. The term originated from the mythological Greek god of love, sexual desire, physical attraction, and physical love. Eros, whose Roman counterpart was Cupid.
1: Okay, now Cupid. We all get a sense. Of, you know, it's it's funny how things sort of evolve over time. You know, Cupid is the is the little naked baby. You know, flying around with wings, with the diaper and the little arrows, and ding ding. You know, yeah. Back then, Cupid wasn't the little 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 baby. Okay, you know, the idea of this Greek goddess of physical love, Eros. You know, you have this 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 picture, this model of of overt sensuality. And so that's where eros comes from. Now, here's the thing. The word eros doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere.
2: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. But there are examples of it throughout scripture. And so while you don't have the word that's in the Bible, what it depicts is what everybody's frankly interested in. I mean, let's face the facts. You know, if you're going to talk about building a marriage relationship, everybody waits till you get to this part. (laughs) So we figured we'll start with this part, and because it's got great, great, great power for good and great power for not so good within the marriage relationship. So again, word eros is not in the Bible, but its effects of the word abound both for good and for evil. Let's look at a couple of the scriptures that are give you a, a positive sense of. Yes, sensuality in the Bible. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2.
2: May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine.
1: You know, there is that is poetic, that is sensitive, that is sensual. I mean, there's this sense of, of that feeling, that, that, that deep desire one for the other. And it's very obvious in scriptures like that. And Song of Solomon is full of scriptures like that, many of which (laughs) that—it's funny because I I did this first segment, and I had some scriptures in it, and I went and said to my wife, I said, Trish, you know, what do you think about us us reading these on the air? And she said, no— Maybe you better not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so a lot were cut. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> because, you know, look, our, our point is not to get into the details of sensuality, but it's to recognize it and to recognize it for what it can be. It's a beautiful part and, and, a, and a sacred part of marriage. Proverbs 5, uh, we're going to read parts, and I'm stressing parts, parts of verses 18 through 21.
2: Rejoice in the wife of your youth, As a loving hind and a graceful doe, be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths.
1: So the first thing in that scripture, again, we're talking about this eros, this sense of sensuality. It belongs in a marriage. It's supposed to be there. It is honored and respected. In, in that re- relationship, and in, in this proverb, you know, Jonathan, some problems that we have are just the same as they always were. It's just that we're more sophisticated now. <laughs> You're right. Okay, and it says, you know, the, the New American Standard Bible says, be exhilarated always with the love of your wife. and The, the wife of your youth. Right, and, and, and the contrast is you shouldn't be exhilarated with an adulteress. So you've got that sensuality that, 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 that's, that that's being focused on. And way back, when the Proverbs were written, 4,000 years ago, the same problems existed then as do now. And that is, it's easy to get off track because sensuality is driven by physicality and that doesn't, it, it needs a harness. It just needs to be harnessed And focused. So, the issue of our human desire leading us instead of us leading them, our human desires, is basically universal. You got to ask yourself the question Am I leading my human desires or are they leading me? And as we look at building a, a, a great marriage, the passion is powerful. It should be a part of, but not the centerpiece of, a great marriage. Am I leading that passion, or am I being led around by that passion? We have to kind of figure that out. Um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9. Now we're getting to the darker side of this passion. But I
2: say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I, Paul. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion.
1: Okay, so better to marry than to burn with passion. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, yourself the question: Well, can't get this get in tr- get us in trouble? I mean, if you've got all this this passion, you say, "Okay, I just better get married." You know, you absolutely and, and, can. Yeah, and, and you know, the interesting thing is, and get us into a lot of trouble more so now than it could have then, because our expectations and our opportunities for a lot of other things are so much more readily available now than they were but yes it can so the idea of well marry just to avoid you know being burning up with passion you gotta be careful because th- there is much more to marriage than just that so don't use that as an excuse of, well you know jonathan rick said if you am know, burning with passion i should just go get married no <laughs> and that's not what the bible said it's a matter of putting things in order okay and and understanding what we're made of and finding a home that is that is godly. You know, passion, true passion, Jonathan, is godly. Got to find a home for that. Eros, like so many things, can enhance and destroy with equal ease.
2: Rick, uh, fantasy. The mm. world pushes fantasizing of the perfect male or female to distract the true marital passion and love for each other. And yeah, Hollywood is famous
1: for it. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. We are We are pressed into the world of fantasy and what happens jonathan is reality can never keep up with fantasy never can and so it's a it's a recipe that in that is inherently self-destructive and we have to be so careful so careful about that another scripture about being careful first thessalonians verse uh, chapter four verses three and four for
2: this is the will of god your sanctification that is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor.
1: Each of us must know, to, know how to possess ourselves in sanctification. We talked about that, uh, uh, was it last week? Yeah, I think it was last week, you know, about being holy. If you're a Christian, that should mean a whole lot to you in terms of making sure we flee from immorality, and not only in action, but in thought. We've got to be careful with that. So... Making marriage work. We have a making marriage work point for each segment. What is it?
2: Passion is powerful and healthy. What drove it at one time in life may change over time. Be sure that your eros is able to mature and change with age and experience.
1: So here's the thing, Jonathan. We, we have inherent passions and different individuals have different levels of passion. And over time, that all changes. And we have to be willing to change with it. We can't look back on maybe an energy level or or an expectation from yesteryear and say, boy, I guess I I don't have that passion anymore. It can express itself differently. Allow your passion to grow up with the rest of your maturity in your marriage relationship because as life changes – it will change, and that's okay. That's a good thing because the power of passion can really, really, really bind those two spouses together. And really, that's what we want from this whole thing. We want it to be that kind of relationship that you look at and say there is something special here. And when you have two individuals, you know, it's easy to see individuals newly married or engaged, you know, and, and their, their passion for one another is obvious. The passion doesn't necessarily die when you get older, it simply changes, and perhaps is more private, but it's still engaged, and it's still a very strong brand of glue that holds that marriage together. So as we look at all of this, so that which always feels so strong and natural always needs to be monitored for its appropriateness.
2: The passion of marriage does get the most attention. But what part of marriage does the most good?
0: We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation.
1: There are several other pieces of marriage that must be present for the passion part to have any chance of enduring. To put this all together, we need to backtrack to a kind of love that exists on a broad basis among all kinds of non-marriage relationships. Without this next form of love, we would be lost. So, Jonathan, we've got the power of passion it's not the basis of marriage, but it is a really important part. What's the next point? A strong
2: marriage is built upon friendship, an enduring bond that is forged in
1: common ground and exudes trust. Simple friendship. That's what we want to look at. Simple friendship. What is it? What kind of place does it occupy in a marriage? relationship. Let's go to a uh, YouTube um, uh, soundbite here for a moment. The secret to having a healthy, strong marriage from a site called uh, Utango. And it's talking, and this, this woman is interviewing different, different individuals and they're talking about their work with helping people with their marriages. And we just sort of picked one of those individuals and she is explaining how she tries to draw couples through specific parts of the counseling.
3: Uh, the first thing that I talk about in the workshop is is the stages in a relationship. Because I, I want to walk couples through the stages to normalize the process. Because um, in the beginning, everything is, is all, you know, fairy dust and rose petals. You know, mm-hmm. it's all good, right? but And that's a, ne- a necessary part of the process because that's where that initial bonding comes in. You know, you need that for the long haul. But then... You, it's a natural progression to progress into the power struggle stage. You know, that's when you start, you know, notice th- noticing things that you don't like about the other person, and the anger starts to come up. You know, but uh, couples often are blindsided by this stage. You know, they're like, oh my god, we're fighting. I guess we're not right for each other, uh, maybe we should get divorced, or are we going to have to white-knuckle it for 30 or 40 years. But mm-hmm. I think that this is the beginning of an authentic relationship, because now the rose-colored glasses are coming off and you get to have a real relationship. But what I en- encourage couples to do is to evolve into the next phase, which is the conscious love stage. And that's where you know you're consciously and intentionally creating the kind of marriage you desire together.
1: And I love that you go from the the rose petal stage to the consciousness stage where you're intentionally building a life. See, when you're in the rose petal stage, there's you don't even have to be intentional. You just it's just magnetism. Mm-hmm. But here, you, oh, what do you mean they're not they're not perfect? What? <laughs> I'm I'm shattered. <laughs> and we 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 need to be able to build on that imperfection. And the the w- very best way to start is to just simply be friends. Sometimes when a relationship breaks up, you know, you know the classic line that that people say when uh,
2: let's just be
1: friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's look at what being friends, being good friends can do for a marriage. When you say let's just be friends, I want folks, to me, the idea of being friends, there is no just being friends about it. Being friends is a powerful part of life. So our second word, our second love word, first one was eros, which has to do with sensuality and passion. The second love word is the word uh, for brotherly love. Jonathan, what is it?
2: Philadelphia love, brotherly love, fraternal affection and fondness.
1: Now, this is the most common expression of love among humankind families have it teams have it those who serve in the military have it gangs even have it it's common to all because it's a form of give and take it's protect and be protected it's the uh, it is uh, it is expressed in the sort of the i've got your back sense of loyalty friendship real true friendship
2: this is an important part of a marriage relationship
1: right and and this should and can exist in a lot of places outside of that marriage relationship but it needs to exist on the inside as well and if we don't have it exist on the inside as well then we've got to start to ask ourselves some pretty serious questions so let's go through some of the scriptures on this part hebrews 13 1 and 2
2: let brotherly love continue do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Uh,
1: okay. So let brotherly love, let Philadelphia continue. And and the idea is being kind and generous and caring and reaching out to those around you. And and, and because as in scripture says, because you know some have entertained Abraham, you know, entertained angels unawares. Um, uh, because, and he was that way with them. So the idea is be ingrained in this idea of being a friend. Now, it's, again, it applies in all aspects of life, but we want to focus it on our marriages at this point. So let's ask the question, how do you treat our very good friends? 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9.
2: Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers— be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing.
1: Okay, uh, so you've got this sense that there is a give and take, you know, one mind, compassion, brotherly love. So it's really taking care of one another. Now now finish up the text.
2: Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing.
1: See, we're called to that kind of treatment of one another. So, Jonathan, that, that puts us in a really powerful place, doesn't it?
2: It does, absolutely. And uh, I, being courteous and and tenderhearted to your spouse,
1: wow. I mean, what great advice. <laughs> you know, you think about that for a second. Yeah, it is great advice from Scripture, but we, the sad thing is sometimes you have to give that advice. Why, you know, and we think, wait, 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 why should we even have to give that advice? Shouldn't that be in, inherently instinctive? Well, yeah, maybe it should be, but it's not, okay? And the reason it's not is because we're human and we get stuck inside of our own heads and our own emotions. And so that's why we need reminding with all of these things. So so Jonathan, you know, looking at brotherly love at this point and, and our discussion thus far about marriage and, 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 and contributing to it, what are some of the things that we can look at in terms uh, in, in our treatment of our spouses to be sure that we're treating them as really good friends.
2: Well, Rick, a lot of things came to mind, but be sensitive to your spouse's needs. If they're feeling down, give them hugs, kisses, and words of appreciation and thankfulness for them. It could, it could be just what is needed in the moment to turn them around. Um, ask, hey, what can I do for you? Um, Be kind, courteous, respectful. How about being a good listener, Rick? (laughs) And also after listening, share what's on your mind and heart with them. We need the back and forth to build that friendship. Um, I I like the thought of encourage your best friend, your spouse spiritually. Uh, I think that's a great motivation to build that bond together. How about this one? Forgive each other. Uh, that's huge. And one last point, final point. Date night should be a part of our weekly uh, routine.
1: All right. So, folks, you heard it here. Jonathan just gave you the entire whole <laughs> kit and caboodle of what you got to do. God bless you as you go to work. We'll talk to you next week.
3: <laughs> really?
1: I mean, there's so much there. And and, and the idea, though, is, you know, you, you have a, a good friend. yeah, And, you know, you want to be you want to be contributory to that good friend. And, and if we look at our spouse as a good friend, let, let's ask a couple of questions here, you know, built on, based on the things that you just said. I mean, do you hang out with your spouse? Absolutely. Or do you need to go hang out with other people to get away from your spouse? I mean, think about this. You know, a spouse should be our best friend. Do you, you joke around with your spouse? You know, and you said, you talked about listening, uh, supporting. Sharing, you know, and you and I were talking before the podcast, you know, and, and and you know me. I love to tease everybody. Oh,
2: yes. Oh, you do.
1: Yeah. And I would caution that <laughs> it's great to tease individuals, but be really careful if you're going to tease your spouse. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you, I have learned, John. See, my nature is to just to be a tease because I just like to make people laugh. And uh, but I have learned that there are some things that you just just don't belong in that category. What can I say? Well, learn from your mistakes. Yeah, that's right. You learn from your mistakes. (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, Trish handed me a note. Also, you know, she said because I was talking about the idea of you know this this infatuation of you know what do you mean? You find out afterwards they're not perfect. She said you know realistically you know you should understand your your spouse to be is not perfect long before you get married. Because you should be friends strongly enough to have uncovered those things.
2: Oh, good point, Rick.
1: And that is such an important thing. Friendship is a basis. Passion is not a basis for marriage. Passion is a byproduct of a wonderful marriage. Friendship, though, that is a basis for marriage. Proverbs eighteen twenty four:
2: A man of too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother,
1: or closer than a sister. You know, and, and the the idea of having that one friend is such an important thing. You know, and, and Jonathan, people laugh when I when I say this because they, they frankly don't believe me. But ask my wife, it's true. I am very, um, I'm I'm, I have a, have have a a sense of of wanting to communicate when I've got a message to give. But outside of that, just leave me alone. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I am not that person who walks through the crowd and nods and shakes everybody's hands and and starts conversation. I'm just not that way. And, you know, for me, you know, you mentioned date night. Mm -hmm. For me, one of the, the thing that I look forward to all week long is Friday evening after Trish gets out of work and she and I just going having dinner somewhere. You know, it doesn't even matter where it is. And just she and I talking just being ourselves with each other, that gives me more strength than you can even begin to imagine because she is my friend and confidant. And, you know, it's not a romantic dinner out, but it is the most bonding Friday evening that I can, I I just, I just, it, it helps me cope with the rest of life because she's, my friend. That's a beautiful thing, Rick. We have to focus on that thing. How how many ways is my spouse clearly my best friend? Let's look at John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14.
2: Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you.
1: Now, this is talking about agape love, the, the highest form of love, selfless love. But Jesus is showing us that friendship can provoke this agape love. And for Jesus to say, I am laying down my life for you, and that's the greatest thing I can do for you because you're my friends, that's a sense of how we should treat our friends. While this text, again, is talking about agape love, the power and the life-altering bond that we should be seeking with our spouse. doesn't have to be passion, folks. That's important. That has its place, but this is something that's foundational here. What's the next point?
2: There is faithfulness in friendship.
1: Faithfulness in friendship. I cannot stress to you how important that is. Look, Jonathan, you and I are good friends. We certainly are. And we have a sense of covering for one another, and if something is wrong— you're going to be one of the first ones to say, what can I do? And, exactly. And you, I, you helped me in many times over. <laughs> Thank you. And, 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 and see, the, the, the beauty of that kind of friendship is you know it. You know it's there. And so it's something that you can count on without having to wonder. You know, it's not, gee, will Jonathan come through this time? Of course you're going to come through because that's who you are. That's the way we need to be able to look at our spouses. There is faithfulness in friendship. What do friends do? They communicate. They're honest with one another. Ephesians 4.25.
2: Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another.
1: Let me just rewrite the scripture. Uh, I know that might be heretical, but give me a moment here. Speak every man truth with his spouse, okay? And for we are members of one another. Same thing. Let us be that close where we don't have to hide but we can speak truth honest and be honest and and having communication both come from a heart that's open to godliness and righteousness Luke 8:15
2: But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word keep it and bring forth fruit with patience
1: Okay so it talks about an honest and good heart. But let's expand on that a little bit.
2: Well, this word for honest, Rick, means beautiful, good, and virtuous.
1: See, now, moral honesty is often harder up front and easier in the long run. Communication is simply a learned skill that begins with the high value of your spouse, slowing yourself way down, and like you said before, listening with your heart, your mind, and your body. So this faithfulness in friendship, friendship can, you can have great friends, but is your spouse your greatest friend or one of your greatest friends? That's the question here. Making marriage work, Jonathan, what's the point?
2: Let us build or rebuild our faithful friendship with our spouse for this simple, but deep friendship is a broad foundation on which to build a successful marriage.
1: Okay. Now, in that, in that point of making marriage work, you notice it said, let us build or rebuild our faithful friendship with our spouse. Sometimes you may have a situation where individuals got married without that faithful friendship already in place. And you can say, oh, okay, well, we don't have that. Well, well it's
2: okay to start now, right, Rick?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the point. The point is, if you never had it, okay, that's all right. Build it. Start it make it happen, build it step by step. And, and that comes, there's, there's a level of trust and, and vulnerability that comes with making that friendship. And maybe you, you had it. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Um Say it, life is mundane and we take each other for granted. Well, that's time to rebuild. We yes. need to rebuild, boost that friendship once again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And so, whether you had it or not is not relative. What matters is what am I going to do today, tomorrow, and the next day to make my spouse that best friend of mine, that individual in my life that is so important. Because, again, passion is great. Passion is wonderful. Passion is, is the exciting part. And sometimes the building blocks of friendship may not be as exciting, but they are the ones, those are the building blocks, that you're going to be able to stand on for the rest of your life. And there is so much power in the faithfulness of friendship. We just have to make sure we understand this clearly and and without reservation how important friendship is. It is amazing just how powerful and deep a personal friendship with your spouse can be. It's amazing
2: passion and friendship are love expressed from the vantage point of extremes what is in the middle
0: Learning about your hosts is always a good thing. Rick and Jonathan both love studying the Bible and sharing their thoughts with you every week. Did you know they've been doing this program for over 20 years? It started as a radio show in 1998. We moved to an exclusive podcast in 2016 and have enjoyed talking to all our listeners all over the world. Plus, these guys are best friends and longtime students of the Bible. That's part of why our Christian Questions team of volunteers and listeners feel like it's a big family. Talk to us anytime and hear over a 1,000 archive programs christianquestions.com now let's get back at it what's next rick
1: there is a lot of space in between the power of passion and the faithfulness of friendship in a marriage this space is entirely occupied by the remaining two kinds of love next we're going to look at love uh, that the love that one has for their family similar to that of a friend but even deeper And oh, so much more powerful. So now we're going to be taking a look at very similar to friendship, but the love of family. So Jonathan, strong marriage. What about it?
2: Strong marriage, Rick, is built upon mutual respect. This includes an ever-growing ability to take that which we tolerate and transform it into that which we
1: embrace. You know, that little phrase take that which you tolerate and transform it into that which you embrace yeah but if you can just tolerate it how do you ever embrace it and the answer is really simple because it's a habit or a, or or an idiosyncrasy of my spouse and if it's part of them then i love it even if it aggravates me <laughs> seriously Seriously. So quirkiness is good. Quirkiness <laughs> is good and it, you know, especially if it might rub you a little bit the wrong way, you know, it's like, yeah, but you know what? That's part of them and I love that. Now now do you love that particular little thing? No, but you love the fact that it's part of that deeply important person in your life. So that's what, really what we want to get into this family thing. And the Greek word there there's several Greek words for family love in the scriptures in Jonathan. So general description, what do they mean? It means the affection between
2: spouses, parents to children, and children to parents.
1: So there's several different words that have those meanings. This level is the most basic and instinctive kind of love. And again, this is family love. Now, this can be simply between two spouses— and say, well, what's the difference between that and friendship? We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but you, we can also interject and add, those of us who have children, this is part of where this all fits in together. Okay, let's go to um, another uh, YouTube video. This is from Unbreak Me, Unbreak Me, and this is, what do, um, does a healthy relationship look like? And so we're just picking out one point. We're, we're taking several different sources today and just picking out one point from each to help us focus in. And so this is the, the his one point about what a healthy relationship looks like.
4: I want you to consider this first. Imagine your relationship with somebody very close to you. It might be a, 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 your mother, your father, a brother, sister, a friend, a person that you're dating, your spouse, whoever it might be, that person you regard as more important than you in the relationship. Imagine what it would feel like if they were regarding you as more important to them than they themselves. That's called sacrificial. Sacrificial means that I will give up sometimes my desires for the other person. Nothing draws the heart of the other person emotionally, better than me caring more about that other person. Now you might be saying, "Well, what about me?" Well, that's that's a fair question. Do you know that if you really care about that person sacrificially, you will so draw them to want to feel and do the same thing for you.
1: And that that's partially something we're going to get into in, in a little bit, but the idea of being sacrificial, putting them first, especially in a family, that's such an important aspect of how we actually treat members of our family? Am I putting them first? And, of course, as a parent, that doesn't mean you give your kid whatever they want. No. It means you give your kid what you believe they need. You direct them in the direction you think they should go, not necessarily the direction they want to go. And that can cause all kinds of fireworks, but that's not our subject today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it can. yes, I do speak from experience on that. <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, and again, we're focusing on this family love, and trying to to distinguish the difference between, between it and friendship.
2: The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be
1: blasphemed. So in this scripture, they admonish, you know, talking to, this is admonishing different, different categories of individuals in the body of Christ. And it's admonishing the, the, the older women to teach the younger women how to live. How to, to, so what that tells us initially is this is not necessarily instinctive. So right. we need to be willing to learn it. And and it says to love their husbands. This is not passionate love. This is not just being a friend. This is loving your husband as your husband. So it's stronger than friendship. It's not in the category of passion, nor is it necessarily in the category of being entirely selfless. So this is a little bit different. Then it says to love your children. Same thing. It's focused on loving your children in that sense of mutual respect and building up in between the family relationship.
2: And, and that makes me think, Rick, of the love and protection that we put around our family. Yeah, yeah. It's special, it's important, it's fragile, and we're there to protect it.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, there, there's one kind of love and protection you have for friends. But when it's family, it's even more personal. And you know there are and and Jonathan, in my own experience with 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 other christians and 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 circumstances and so forth there are there are some who are not physical members of my family,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but they are in my head and in my heart they are members of my family, and there are mm-hmm. those that I treat as as a daughter or a sister because and don't mess with my family you know <laughs> and see and there's a str- that that kind of love has to be part of our marriage we have to be able to to grow into that so that we can really 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 latch onto what the scriptures are teaching us in terms of developing all this you know the, the need to keep standards before us is plainly obvious in, in this scripture this scripture this titus scripture that we just read is not saying that these things uh, were being omitted. It's not saying they were, were being ignored, but it's saying that they need to be central. And we can know things, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be reminded constantly about how important they are. And Jonathan, what, just key phrase for this, the family love here. What is it?
2: Family love is fulfilling.
1: So we started out with the power of passion. And then we went to the faithfulness of friendship. And now it's the fulfillment that's in family love. It is different. And, and we need to, to get ourselves there.
2: Another important uh, part of uh, loving um, your spouse, your family, is keep each other's confidences. Keep private issues private. That's a trusting friend.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's the family thing. That's exactly what we're talking about. Family matters stay in the family, unless, of course, you need outside help or or guidance on those things. But they stay in the family, and they stay—they are not matters of, hey, did you hear what happened, too? That's just not the way it goes, okay? Romans 12.10 has this sense of family love as well.
2: Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another.
1: So the words "kindly affectionate" are the word for this family love. Then it says, "with Philadelphia love." So you've got both of those. What we talked about last segment in this segment, both in this in this particular verse. So this this elevates brotherly love within the body of Christ to family love within the body of Christ. And Jonathan, that's a beautiful thing. This, that is. The sense of that extra step of loyalty because of family is really, really, really important. How do we elevate our spouse in this way? You know, I think sometimes it's easier to picture elevating your children in this way than it is to picture elevating your spouse.
2: That's a good point. You're, you're right. It is easier.
1: So we have to focus on that because your spouse was there before. And your spouse is going to be there after the kids are up and out and on their own. How do you elevate your spouse in this family love? Do they know? Do they know and do they feel this family love coming from me? That's the important
3: thing.
2: Rick, um, I was talking to my mother at the kitchen table over dinner. And mom and dad have been married almost 65 years. And I asked her the question, uh, you know, what what are important things uh, for you in your marriage? she says, say, I love you often. Don't ignore each other. Be sincere. Always helping each other. Always do the things, always do things together. And I, I love this one. Uh, Listen to music together. And Rick, when they do this, it always turns into a sing-along with my <laughs> folks.
1: Well, yeah, with <laughs> dad, your my family. My dad's a music teacher. <laughs> Yeah, see, now my dad was hard of hearing. Okay, so whenever he sang, boy, you knew it. (laughs) But you know, that was, but you know, uh, in your family, the sing along was full of grace and harmony. Oh, yes. I mean, I know how you sing, and and, you know, and in my family, it was a source of fun because my dad (laughs) knew he couldn't sing because he couldn't hear but it would be so much fun and he was such a good sport when we were kids you know and and you know he'd sing you know uh, the old italian songs about please don't squeeze the banana you know and <laughs> okay i'm not singing it for you but oh, you okay. know <laughs> maybe to, next time but the <laughs> idea of the family thing is that you you know the family secrets the family jokes the family uh, the family uh, punchlines and all of that that's what we're talking about is your spouse in the middle of that because they should be. They should be. Now, the other side of this part is there is a lack of this family love that is twice cited in Scripture as a sign of the depth of sin and as a sign of the end times. That's how important this family love is, because the Scriptures take the lack of it and say, when you see this, Here's what's happening. So let's go through those two scriptures, Jonathan. This is this was an eye opener for me cuz I never connected the two, the positive and the negative, and this was like, wow, how important this is for us to keep right in front of us. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 and 31.
2: And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which were not proper without understanding untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, lacking love of family.
1: Okay, so unloving, that word for unloving is the negative of the family love where it's said in the earlier scripture to, um, to take care of your, your, your family, your children. So when it says unloving, it means, the, the, the Greek word astrogos, is meaning a lack of love for your family. It's not there. Now, this is a problem. Now, what does it mean when you say a lack of love for your family? It means that somehow or other you're letting it go. You're letting others fill the gap. And when life gets busy and life gets stressful, this is the problem that we can run into. Okay, so we've got this, and it talks about a depraved mind. So think about that. From a scriptural standpoint as a Christian, we have better be focused on really, truly loving our family. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 3.
2: But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be unloving, uh, malicious gossips, and without self-control and brutal.
1: Okay, unloving. Same word. Okay, lack of love for the family. In the last days, difficult times will come. And this is what's going to happen. Look around you, folks. Look around and carefully see the many ways our generations have subtly fulfilled these particular prophetic statements we just read. How often do we divorce for, quote, irreconcilable differences? How many parents disengage with their children and let the educational system and, and technology raise their children? that is these are symptoms of being unloving am i letting my spouse slip out of this family love because i am too busy or too stressed jonathan we've got to be really 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 focused on this and making sure that our spouse is in the middle of this family love so you know is my spouse left behind because i focus on the kids mm. and Whoa.
2: That's, that could be trouble.
1: That, well, and, you know, and here's the thing we have to watch out for. Sometimes when we have friction because of mm. the stresses of life, you know, a lot of times external things can cause internal strife. Oh, good point. So sometimes when we have that friction, we'll focus on the kids so we don't have to face the friction.
2: But, Ooh, or but, they're hurt.
1: Right. Or, mm. And then we are not including that spouse in that family love. And that is a recipe for long-term disaster. That's why these things are so important. Jonathan, nobody thinks about this stuff. But the scriptures are actually teaching us about it. So we've got to be really, really careful. Perhaps the principle of of the following scripture fits here. Now, this principle only. We cannot serve our families, and therefore God, and serve the world as well. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. We're just going to pause after verse 10.
2: He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is
1: unrighteous also in much. Okay, now this scripture only in principle. When we look at this, that little thing, what if that little thing was the way you treat your family, the way you treat your spouse on the inside of that family relationship? If we're unfaithful in that little thing, might we be unfaithful in the larger things? Because that Mm -hmm. is the most important commitment that God has given us in our lives.
2: That principle really does follow through follow through it, it does it? It does. Hmm. Verses 11 to
1: 13.
2: Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth.
1: You, we, we, serving God is to be engaged in our family because the scriptures tell us that's part of our faithfulness. And our spouse especially. It's so critically important. Making marriage work point is what?
2: The fulfillment of family must be consciously kept in front of our minds as it is so easy to overlook. Family and spouse are always there and therefore easily upstaged.
1: You know, and and that's another really important point, Jonathan, is because family and spouse are always there, it's so easy to put them aside to, to take care of other things, and I'll get to that when. And we have to be careful. And our spouse, because they were there before and they're going to be there after, is the one that's most easily put aside. Folks, family love is one of the ways that we can build a healthy, happy, loving, long-term relationship.
2: Treasure it, Rick.
1: Yes. Treasure your spouse. As a member of that family, that internal group that has that internal loyalty that nobody else has in all of the rest of your life. The, the loyalty and support of a family is unequaled, and yet at the same time is so easily minimized.
2: So far, we have seen the importance of passion, friendship, and being family. What more could there be?
0: Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands.
1: now we take a giant step selfless love is the crowning characteristic of this whole equation to have a truly successful marriage all of the previous things are important but truthfully none of them as are important as the next level of love master this and you will certainly be an enormously positive influence in your marriage so jonathan all of those things we talked about are really important the power of passion the faithfulness in friendship, and the fulfillment in family. But they are aided and they are able to work more readily when we understand this next point. What is it?
2: A strong marriage is built upon putting your spouse first, loving them enough to not be concerned with what you get in return, powerfully sets the table for a true marital connection and growth.
1: So we are getting into, and we've talked about this um, outside of the marriage discussion many, many, many times uh, on Christian questions. The idea of selfless love or benevolent love, and the the Greek word is agape. And what what does that actually
2: mean, Rick? It means affection or benevolence.
1: You know, and when, when you think about benevolence, it, it's like it's like this this sort of almost kind of like a high and mighty thing. So what we're, we 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 so far have the the power of passion the faithfulness in friendship, fulfillment in family love. And I'm going to add the beauty of benevolence.
2: Wow, Rick, that doesn't sound very romantic, really. <laughs> the beauty of benevolence?
1: Yes. What do <laughs> you, we do with that? Head. Right, you, you come home, you know, one day and you say, honey, your benevolent one is home. I mean, who says that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but see, it's not romantic, And that's the point, because the idea of this benevolent love is bigger than all of that, because it's the giving out of the depth of your own heart without any need or thought to receive back. And when we can apply that to our marriage, well, then we've got something to really, really work with. So no, it's not romantic, and it's not supposed to be. But romance can be built from that, so just yes, the beauty of benevolence. It doesn't sound like it fits, but boy, I'll tell you, it is a foundation. <laughs> and now, and now, let's let's get further into this because we know that men and women are wired entirely differently. And so oh what yes, else is absolutely. Okay. And as we will see, uh, women in general are clearly more intuitive and more readily able to understand love. I have learned this, Jonathan, from experience.
3: Amen to that <laughs> statement, brother.
1: Um, as a result, we're shown different roles. So we're going to go through Ephesians 5. We're going to actually go 5, 21, all the way through 31. It's going to take us a while to get there. Let's do 21 through 24 to get started. Well, we'll break this into small pieces as well.
2: And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ.
1: Okay. There is a foundational statement, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then it goes on to start to say, here's what wives should do, and here's what husbands should do. So let's start with the wives.
2: Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body.
1: Okay, so you get that, and you say, well, okay, that sounds pretty direct and and and, and pretty... Uh, uh, pretty anti, anti-feminism, if you will. But read verse 24.
2: But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. That's even worse!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this sounds like a recipe for unfair treatment, rebellion, and even lawsuits Okay, in our world. And as usual, if we would just read only a part of the Scripture, then we can't possibly begin to grasp the rest of the meaning. So if you stop there, yeah, you're gonna say, well, oh, that doesn't sound very fair. Well, okay.
2: And many critics do, right?
1: They do. They do, and, and they're very, very powerful about that, and you know, how come there's not equality? Well, there is equality, but there are different roles. And the equality is not having exactly the same role broken in half. The equality is having different roles and fulfilling them equally. That's what it is, and when you understand that, boy, does the marriage work, man! Oh man! Oh man! So, so before we get to the rest of the scripture, Jonathan, let's let's take a time out because you know if we're getting some people's ire up, let's settle that down. You got to hear this next soundbite, okay? This is from. Something called StoryCorps. This was from NPR. The act of listening. StoryCorps is this, this this system they set up where people can tell parts of their life story, and they've collected thousands and thousands and thousands of stories. And and it just it's it ends up being in many cases these pearls of wisdom about life. Well, this is a story. Well, I'll let him introduce a little bit of it, but just listen to the sensitivity and the love in this story between these two older folks who've been married for a very long time.
4: This interview between a betting clerk in Brooklyn named Danny Peraza, who brought his wife Annie to StoryCorps to talk about his love for her. You, you see, the thing of it is, I always feel guilty when I say I love you to you, and I say it so often, I say it to remind you that as dumpy as I am, it's coming for me. It's, it's like hearing a beautiful song from a busted old radio. And it's nice for you to keep the radio around the house. If I don't have a note on the kitchen table, I think there's something wrong. You write a love letter to me well, every morning. Well, the only morning. thing that could possibly be wrong is I couldn't find a silly pen. To my princess, the weather out today is extremely rainy. I'll call you at 11.20 in the morning. It's a romantic weather And report. I love you, I love you, I love you. When a guy is happily married, no matter what happens at work, no matter what happens in the rest of the day, there's a shelter when you get home. There's a knowledge, knowing that you can hug somebody without them throwing you downstairs and saying, get your hands off me. And it, it, Being married is like having a color television set. You never want to go back to black and white.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, and Jonathan, I'm, I'm, we're listening, and I'm watching you nod your head as he's explaining the shelter awesome. thing. You know, and, and, and the sense of having that shelter in your life You know, it's a priceless part of a married life.
2: Coming home.
1: Yeah. See, and if that is not a priceless part for you, then one of the things you need to do is step back and say, okay, what am I missing? And you go through these four different kinds of love and you start with the foundations, start with the friendship and the family and the selfless love and work those things. And you know what happens? The passion comes back. But we have to start where we have to start. So what a wonderful story. You know, he's, he's, he, 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 he's got this great humility about him, this, this guy telling the story. And just it gives you a sense of, yeah, that's, that's the way our, our our life should be.
2: Let's not forget cherishing, Rick. Yeah. Cherishing.
1: And, and that's, what he, that's exactly what he was describing. He cherished his wife. Now, let's get back to Ephesians. Husbands are clearly taught to love their wives as Christian responsibility. Now, the first thing that jumps out at you is, uh, and look, it's your responsibility to love your wife. And you think, wow, you have to be told? And the the answer sometimes is yes, (laughs) several times. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 25 to 31.
2: Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless.
1: So the idea, you know, you said before you read that scripture, remember the concept of cherishing. That scripture is describing it because it's saying, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? Remember in that John scripture we read earlier? He said, you're my friends, and I laid down my life for you. That's the best I can do for you. Wow. This is our response. This is what is put on the husband as his responsibility to love your wife like that. And then it talks about cherishing because it's describing that Jesus did this, that he might set her apart, cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, to present himself in the church in all of her glory. Notice, it's not talking about him; it's her, it's her glory, no spot or wrinkle, something that he cherished. Someone that is holy and blameless in the sight of Christ. That's the description of husbands love your wife. Let's continue verses 28 through 31.
2: So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are the members of his body, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh.
1: So here you have then, the apostle gives us a different example. Love your wife the way you take care of your own body. And our care for our bodies is generally instinctive. And so our love for our wives should become instinctive as well. See, and you said it, the key to truly valuing your spouse is the concept of cherishing them. And that and that word is actually used in verse 29. What does that word actually mean?
2: Well, Rick, it means to cherish with tender love, to foster with tender care.
1: And if you look at the dictionary, and just one of the definitions of cherish in the dictionary, the second definition, what is it?
2: To entertain or harbor in the mind deeply and resolutely.
1: You know, let's pause here because agape love is that love that gives without needing to have something in return to cherish is to love in that way and again in my own personal experience in dealing with with christians that that may have issues and and, and things you know difficulties in, in 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 their marital life one of the things we always talk about is cherishing and once we get into things, and I usually do this separately, is say, okay, let's talk about how is it that you have in the past cherished your wife? And sometimes, frankly, there's a there's a pause, like, uh I'm not sure. Well, let's think, let's go back. And you find it, and then the assignment is re that. Refind it. Because when you start to look at them with those that cherishing heart and those cherishing eyes. And that cherishing care, then life changes. So that's part of, and again, to cherish doesn't mean you're expecting something back. It means you love it just because it is. And that's the beauty of this agape love. So let's go through the observations, Jonathan, here from this previous scripture.
2: Well, before we do that, Rick, yes, um, sir, (laughs) these observations are very, and Rick, I mean, very lopsided. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure this is fair, first of all. I, I'm just saying. When I read this list, I'm like, what? Are you serious?
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and the reason the reason Jonathan's saying that, because the list in front of us has one thing for women to do and five, what is it, five? Five yep. for men to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, yep. where's the fairness in that? Well, you know... <laughs> and here here's the thing Jonathan it is entirely fair because it's b- the 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 scriptures are built on the basis of what we need so if you believe that the scriptures there is the inspired word of god okay i'm setting you up you know that I right i do <laughs> okay so right so you know that these scriptures are the the, the the inspired word of god and these are scriptures that are telling you how to be a better husband are you going to say that they're being fair to you or they're being unfair? <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. Are you ready? Let's get going. <laughs> okay. let's. But see, that's the point though. When scriptures give us extra and sort of like hints again and again and again, it's telling us this is really important for you. This is really important for you. So make sure that you take what what what's being told to you and you apply it. That's really what it boils down to. So the observations, yes, there are six bullet points. What's the first one?
2: Women love and be subject
1: okay, that's and, and we talked about that and of course, if you just stop there, people get all bent out of shape, okay, but now let's go through the five bullet points that are for the male counterpart in the marriage relationship, and when we say the word love, this is agape love, this is that benevolent giving without a thought of receiving love. what's the first one
2: men. Love and give yourself up for her.
1: Okay, that's what Jesus did. He loved us and gave gave himself up for us. That's what he said the night before he was crucified. He told them that's what he was going to do. That's our example. So that's a powerful thing, but that's not all. There's more. What's the next one?
2: Men love and care for her as your own body.
1: so the way that we would take care of ourselves and you know to, you know work out the muscle cramp and and sit comfortably and eat until we're satisfied and all of that kind of stuff, well, that's the way we should be caring for our spouse instinctively to have her comfort be the most important thing. What else?
2: Men, your love for her becomes your way of self-preservation.
1: Because she is so much a part of you that you're better when she's cared for. Think about that. You are better as a man when your spouse is cared for by you. And what's the next point?
2: Men cherish her.
1: I don't know. I think we've said quite a bit about cherishing. The yes. the point of cherishing is to just to to honor and respect because they are and they are beautiful and priceless in your sight. And what's the final one?
2: Leave men, let's start there. Men leave all other ties for her sake.
1: Everything else is secondary and now all of this love so so you know when we started the, the podcast we were saying, you know all you need is love. Well, hmm. you can see that love needs a whole lot of other stuff to make it work.
2: Well, well, Rick, when we started this Ephesians 5.21, I realized that it says be subject to one another before it talks about women being loving and subject to their husbands. So, I mean, there's another bullet point that should be added for the men. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That makes seven. <laughs> and
1: why is it so lopsided? <laughs> because men are not intuitive. They're just not. Now, a few are, okay, here and there. But most of us are not. Let's face the facts and just be be uh, accepting of that, that we've got a lot to learn. And you know what? The best person to learn from is your own spouse. And if you can learn from them and reciprocate what they have in many ways just instinct. Watch the way a a woman takes care of you, her husband, or a child if she has a child. And, And you're going to learn a whole lot about what we should be doing and giving back. What's the make marriage work principle here?
2: To truly love your spouse selflessly is to love sacrificially, and that is what Jesus did. This type of love opens doors of bonding, communication, and
1: vulnerable trust. And this is, again, getting back to the beauty of benevolence. Doesn't sound romantic because it's not. But you see now that it has great and deep power to transform our lives. Loving selflessly really is the key to marriage, strength, and longevity. Without it, we struggle. With it, (laughs) with
2: it, we build. Now that we have the four kinds of love in place... What should our everyday lives begin
0: to look Every episode like? we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at christianquestions.com through all our social media channels and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together.
1: Gathering and digesting information is a significant beginning to the journey toward a strong marriage. Walking the walk is where it becomes challenging and even discouraging, for it's in the taking of actual steps that our weaknesses are revealed. But take heart. This is good news, for now we know where we need work. And Jonathan, I can only repeat back that the reason there were six bullet points for men, because you added one, and only one for women... (laughs) It's because it's showing us where we need work. And that, you know what, to, to use very Christian language, that, my friend, is a blessing. That is a huge blessing because the scriptures are pouring themselves out to say, here's how you make it work. Here's what you can do. Here's how you can be. Here's where you can go. Let's take that and run with it. Next strong marriage point.
2: A strong marriage is built upon the everyday intentions, thoughts, and efforts that both spouses put into themselves and each other.
1: So every day, if you want your marriage to be strong, there must be intentional thinking and action. It has to be intentional. It can't be, oh, yeah, I just sort of remembered. Because that means it's not driving you. See, when you have an intentional thought, it's a driving thought, and if you're, you're in a situation where perhaps your marriage isn't what you'd like it to be, or what it could be, or maybe you're in a rough spot, or maybe it's even bad, I would submit to you that according to what we've read from Scripture, the intentional thinking and intentional action to right the ship is what might be missing at this point. Oh, you're going to say something?
2: No. Oh, I okay. No, I, I thought you were I'm, like. I'm thinking. I need. I need <laughs> to be more intentional. <laughs> well, you
1: know, and and it really is. It really is important to 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 see it that way. That when things are not going well, the, the, you know, one of the defaults is well, if only they did this, or if she was doing that, or if he could have done that, or, you know. And the and you know that my 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 gut response to this is right, right. A mirror. That's right. <laughs> look in the mirror. <laughs> look in the mirror. Let's look in the mirror first, and let's see what we see there, because that is what we can control. And so, the intentionality with which we approach our marriage is such an important factor. Uh, our final, our final soundbite comes from Prince a. E. Uh, before you get married, watch this. It's a YouTube video, and it's very, very. You got some very interesting and very uh, provocative things in terms of um, developing what he calls the most important secret and he's going to reveal what he thinks that that is in this next minute
4: marriage expert John Gottman can sit with newly engaged couples for 15 minutes or less and predict with 94% success the likelihood of whether that couple will be happily married or miserable and divorced what is his secret how does he do it He says the key to relationship success does not lie in candlelight dinners. It is not found in trips to Paris or horse and carriage rides under moonlit skies. It is not found in getting your partner a different gift every other week. And it is not found during long walks on the beach. Gottman says the most important factor for a happy marriage is attention. Small moments of positive attention.
1: Pretty simple, isn't it? It is. Small moments of positive attention. Now, attention doesn't mean that you're glancing up from reading your last text and saying, Oh, I'll pay attention to my wife and, t- and then I'll respond to this text. That's not attention. That's playing a game. Okay. Attention is having the phone put away, having everything else put aside and having them be the centerpiece of your life for those moments and that means focus right focus <laughs> right so there's nothing else just them those are small moments of attention so let's not mistake what we think that might mean oh no i pay i pay lots of attention really <laughs> you know it, Part of, the, uh, part of the, one of the, the quizzes for that is, repeat back what they said. What was, what, was the, what was their attitude when they said it? And if you can't do that, then you weren't paying attention. <laughs> now look, sometimes we pay attention, we still can't do that, okay? But that's part of <laughs> learning. Okay? So, let's, let's review, Jonathan. We, we talked about four kinds of love. And let's just take a few minutes and talk about these four kinds of love, and then we're going to get into an example, an incredible example of marriage in Scripture. What was the first kind we talked about? The power of passion, the give and take of emotions that are driven
2: by our physical senses as well as our deep-seated desires.
1: Okay, now passion will not last unless it adjusts with age and experience and is fed with the other three types of love. For marriage to be vibrant, our our spouse must be the object of our passion. Not an object, but the object. can you be passionate about other things? Absolutely, but when it comes down to that 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 deep seated desire within you, it's your spouse, and that's hard to get to, Jonathan you're right, Rick a lot of times people maybe have that at the beginning because it is sort of a gut feeling, a gut reaction because you have this connection, you know, and there's something to people connecting, but that connection is not going to carry you through life. That connection needs to be fed and nurtured, and it needs to learn how to grow up as you grow up and as you change.
2: And reignite it if it was lost.
1: Right. And sometimes reigniting it doesn't mean you're going to get the same flame that was, it can be different and that's okay. What stage of life are you at? But don't, don't kid yourselves. While passion is important, it's not the centerpiece. Okay, And we started with it because that's the, that's the most popular part of the whole conversation. But it doesn't work without the rest. So what's the, the next point?
2: The faithfulness of friendship. The sharing and caring that goes to and from those who walk with us in our purpose.
1: This is, again, the I've got your back territory. It's here that there's a potential for genuine fun, great accomplishment, and extraordinary mutual support in this friendship. For marriage to thrive, our spouse must be such a friend. Now, sometimes, somebody, you you might be in a situation where you're married and you weren't that kind of friend. Become that kind of friend. How do you do that? Pay attention. Close, personal attention. Pay attention, be the friend, and that friendship, it, it, it produces faithfulness. The next one.
2: The fulfillment of family. It is here that we ought to become most loyal and therefore most vulnerable
1: as well. Your family should be the source of your closest protection and the subject of your deepest earthly affection and attention. For marriage to become unbreakable, your spouse must be the centerpiece of this devotion. It's too easy to have that family love and focus on children if you have them and, and the spouse becomes part of the background. Don't do that. Let this, your spouse be in the foreground because they were the ones that were there at the beginning and they're the one who's going to be there at the end. And the last one, Jonathan, the unromantic one. <laughs> the beauty of benevolence. It is this love that makes it possible for all
2: of the other forms of love to grow, for this love always gives without a
1: need to receive. This love is directly modeled after Jesus, and for our earthly marriages to be truly complete, we must treat our spouses with benevolence before any other person. Cherish them. You know, Jonathan, and and this next comment... I'm, I'm adjusting something that Julie had told me about going through an experience of hers. She learned some things, and I'm taking the principle of what she said and changing it and applying it to marriage. You cannot be angry with your spouse and cherish them at the same time.
2: Oh, that's big. It that's is.
1: Big. So choose. Choose. <laughs> it's really simple. Choose. Making marriage work principle. What is it?
2: A truly healthy and blessed marriage is able to use the combined talents and characters of both spouses
1: to reach out and bless others. Here's the beauty of this whole thing. If you've got a strong enough marriage, it now can be fruitful not only within itself but outside of itself and can be effective to the upbuilding of the people around you. And Jonathan, that, my friend is where marriage really can soar into new heights that you never would have dreamed possible, and that's what this example of marriage in in Scripture is going to show us. This is an example of a great marriage that shows us what it looks like to reach out to others. Acts chapter 18, verses 1-3, to we're going to be talking about Aquila and his wife Priscilla.
2: In Corinth, Paul found a Jew named Aquila, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, for by trade they were
1: tent makers. So Aquila and Priscilla housed the Apostle Paul uh, when um, when he met with them in Corinth. He met them there. They were ushered out of Rome, so they had gone through some difficulty. They were Jews. He witnessed the gospel to them. They became Christians, and they were the ones who, whose house he stayed at. They worked together as tent makers. So it's interesting, Aquila and Priscilla housed the Apostle Paul. Think about housing the Apostle Paul. What a privilege. <laughs> wow. And they co-labored with him, not only not only in the work of the gospel, but in making a living. He was a tent maker. They were tent makers. They all worked together. Then they moved and they went to Ephesus with him. So they're hooked on the gospel now. They are really strong Christians. What happens in Ephesus? Acts chapter 18, and, we're, and we're, this, there's a lot to the story. We're just going to condense it way, way down. Acts, Acts 18, verses 24 to 26.
2: Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately.
1: So, Jonathan, Apollos in Scripture is very well recognized as a powerful, eloquent, convincing, intelligent speaker. And yet... he was. At the beginning, he didn't have the whole story. So, so what do Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla do?
2: You know, I love this, Rick. They pulled him aside. They didn't, they didn't hey, you're, you're making a mistake. You're saying it wrong. They pulled him aside and instructed him based on what they learned.
1: So in quietness and yes. humility, they, they helped him put the pieces together that he just didn't know about. Right. And so they taught the great teacher. Because he became a great teacher in the gospel. And, Absolutely. And, and so they were very, very much responsible for contributing to that. But it's, you notice it's not just Aquila who does it. It's Aquila and Priscilla. They, right. they did it together. That's the power of that couple. And then you've got Romans 16, verses 3 to 5.
2: Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, Also, greet the church that is in their
1: house. Two big things in this verse. First of all, it says greet them. And then he says, and I'm just letting you know, I want you to greet them because they risked their lives for me. And and Jonathan, that's huge. That is. As a couple, they risked their lives for the Apostle Paul. But what's the other point that's so important here? Well,
2: there's a church... That meets in their house. And we know that individuals make up the church. It's right. not a building or right. an organization. It's, it's sons of God following in Jesus' footsteps.
1: So they were the ones who were taking the responsibility of giving other Christians a place to go so they could study and pray and worship and praise together.
2: Wow, what an example.
1: So, and so you see, everything that they have done in the scriptures up to this point has been exemplary. They moved from one place to another. They, they housed the Apostle Paul. They worked with him physically and spiritually. They witnessed to, the, to Apollos, and now they risked their lives for Paul, and now they're housing fellow Christians to help them be fed. That has got to be a marriage that was as solid as solid could be. They were on the same page. They had love on every aspect going, and they were able to now spread it to others. Final scripture, First Corinthians 16, verse 19.
2: The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house.
1: You know, now now Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned in one other scripture, we didn't have, have time to put that in. But Jonathan, there's a there's a commonality in all of these scriptures. And what's that? Aquila and Priscilla are always mentioned in scripture together.
2: Oh, now that's beautiful.
1: Never are they ever mentioned without the other. Oh I love that. And that gives us a really strong sense of their of two things. First of all, their dedication to Christ is is exemplary. It, it's 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 very it's it's firm, it's clear, it's focused and it is active. It's intentional. But it also shows you that they did everything together. That means Jonathan they didn't just tolerate one another. They loved one another.
2: Supported one another.
1: They 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 were friends with one another. They were family to one another. They were selfless to one another. And because they could put all of those things in place, they could become the powerhouses that were such an incredible witness by just being who they were. When I grow up, I want to be like that.
2: Amen. <laughs>
1: you know so 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 Jonathan we look at an example like that and there's not a lot of examples of couples in scripture and Aquila and Priscilla I think are planted in scripture very specifically to show us what a true couple in Christ actually should look like in terms of service and what a great example folks look we're doing that we do a program a podcast every year ...about marriage because we think it's so important for us to understand this is a sacred covenant that we make before God that is one to another and it's to last for life. It is a commitment that requires many things and passion and faithful friendship and fulfillment of family and the beauty of benevolence are all parts of what make a marriage work. Every part takes work, takes effort, takes sacrifice, takes intention and takes focus. But you can make your marriage better every day by simply focusing on it and focusing on your spouse. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed being with you, talking to you about something so important to us. Folks, marriage is sacred. Think about it. We really want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also a big part of spreading the gospel, the ChristianQuestions.com is uh, spread, spreading uh, information about our program, subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes in Google Play and Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about how many baptisms are there? That's an odd question. Talk to you then.